Hello, my name is Alan Swan and welcome to The Outer View, a show all about the art of media interviewing for RTE Radio 1 Extra. And our guest this week is the UK uh, producer, Laura Parfit. Laura is a UK producer and director of White Pebble Media. And they specialise in making um, speech radio for basically all the major BBC networks and various commercial stations around the world as well. Uh, you can check out our website where there's loads of examples of work, whitepebblemedia.co.uk. Now, as a producer, she's been an executive producer and an editor. Laura has worked on basically every range of broadcast you can imagine from current affairs programs to documentaries, general features, live outside broadcasts, magazine sequences, science programs, quiz shows and this has included the legendary Desert Island Discs, one of my favourite shows of all time. She's done Loose Ends, The Treatment for BBC Five Live, Youth Documentaries for BBC Radio 1. Laura is a goldmine of information and she brings in this episode some really some some nuggets that I would have never have thought of when it comes to the art of interviewing. Um, she talks about how the very first point of contact for an interview, the introductory email and the clothes that you wear to an interview, how important they are, how never to accept the first answer to a question and memories of her first ever interview involving the legendary nature presenter Sir David Attenborough. You can find out more about Laura at whitepebblemedia.co.uk if you want to tweet me and thank you so much for all the messages so far it's so cool the day after and even a week later where you get a, a tweet from somebody you've never heard of you've never met before who's enjoyed the podcast so thank you so much it's at Alan Swan A-L-A-N-S-W-A-N if you want to get in touch with the show I'd love to hear from you so uh, without further ado let's take episode three of The Outer View with my guest this week in conversation Laura Parfit I suppose we'll, we'll delve straight into it. Um, do you think, Laura, that the, the art of interviewing has been lost? Um, it's really easy to sound like a complete old fart here, but I think, um, no, there are still people out there who are fabulous, but I think in general, when I watch interviews, the thing that I really notice is that we've, we've all grown very fond of the closed question, so that when somebody's asking a question, you can answer it yes or no. Now, I think that it, it's, it's okay because actually we're all quite media savvy and people that go on the media realise they've got to speak in sentences. But it, it kind of, in some ways, I, I don't like it because it makes people think of the answer in a certain way. It, it, it's almost like the interviewer is framing the question in the way they want to hear an answer. And I'm a, I'm a much bigger fan of the open question because I think it gets people thinking. And it's more like a conversation. Yeah, uh, and I think, you know, the art of interviewing, you have a range of possible ways to ask a question. So sometimes you, um, you know, you you can be very direct, ask a direct question. Other times it can be very conversational. And often conversational stuff works well because obviously people feel relaxed. But sometimes, you know, a hard question is good too. I suppose from your experience, you've you've been been both sides of the glass, so to speak. Mm. You've been on the the producer side of things, and also you've been asking the questions yeah. as well in various documentaries. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember your first interview? <laughs> well, yes, I was a I was a production assistant on a children's news program called In the News. It went out on school radio in 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 the UK, and there was a. Um, 
uh, a broken down tube train. So the reporter who was the person that went out and did all the interviews was stuck on a tube train. And we had a we had a, a booking with um, Sir David Attenborough. Sorry, yes, yeah, David Attenborough, um, who was going to be uh, giving us an interview about his new television show. So because the researcher wasn't, um, the reporter wasn't available, I suddenly was given a tape recorder and said, go and interview him. And I was as green as you like. I, did, I just didn't know what the heck I was doing. So I started blethering on. Um, and he very kindly put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Laura, I think you should ask this question. So I asked... <laughs> and... It wasn't done in any patronising sense. It was just, I realise you're a nervous, young, green reporter and I'm going to help you. And it was just a lovely thing to do and I, I'd never forgotten that. It was very generous. Because you could have been in the situation where you were with a, a very difficult uh, interviewee uh, who mightn't have given you that kind of luxury. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, smiling and charm helps as well, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and I suppose, that, you know, from the various people that I've spoken to on this series regarding interviewing, they seem, one thing that comes across an awful lot about is how to set the, how to set up the interview and, and how to approach that very first question. And it's almost before the microphone is even switched on. There's work to be done. I couldn't agree more. I mean, the very first point of contact, which is often an email, um, is absolutely essential. Um to make the interviewee feel at ease, feel like you you appreciate what they're going to talk about, like you're going to be sensitive, you're not an idiot. And I think, so the, So there's the contact and the setting up of it. But also, I'm, I'm a great fan of um, thinking about what you're wearing, for instance. So if you're going to interview teenagers, don't go in your best business suit. Or if you're going to interview, um, you know, the head of Barclays Bank, don't arrive in a in a, um, a filthy shirt, which one of my interviewers, <laughs> what a presenter I was working with once did. Because it was, you know, you so you walk into the room, you're making an impression. And I also think that um, how you behave in a sort of status manner is important as well. So if you go in, you know, behaving like an idiot, like you're, you're the most important thing in the room, that's not going to go down well. You've got to use... Um, listening is the great thing isn't it it's just listening to what you know reading the signs and listening to that person and taking an interest and that's before the interview starts I think that's so, yeah. fantastic advice because actually funnily enough I was I was listening to an interview recently there's a guy you're, you're probably familiar with called Gay Talese yeah um, who's a he's a famous for people listening into the the, the, the interview now and in the, into the podcast series he's a famous uh, New York writer who would have you know wrote with uh, for the greats yeah. like Frank Sinatra and, and group but he his whole thing was he's a, he, he gets changed two or three times a day he's always wearing a different shirt different kind of power suits and he's very really? much into the yeah into the fashion stakes of things so he always looks sharp yeah. for the person that he's interviewing you know so it's funny that you, you've brought that up so in, in saying as well that it's not just the, the, the preparation on the page having your homework done mm. that appearance is, is that first kind of appearance is very important I think it's really important I mean um, I've got a sort of radio interview that I've travelled around the world interviewing people quite a lot and, and there's a sort of classic thing that I used to wear just a like just black trousers and a, and a nice shirt and that sort of got me around the world but I remember arriving in Ibiza to do a documentary it was I think it was the first ever documentary ever anyone ever did on Ibiza so it was kind of an unknown story really which was quite exciting 
Um, but I arrived in Ibiza in these sort of my smart black trousers and, a, and a, just a T-shirt. And I thought, oh, my God, I stick out. Because every everywhere we went, everybody was just dressed in bikinis or swimwear. So I just had to go to Ibiza Town Market and I bought this like, sort of little dress that fitted. It seemed to fit in. And then suddenly we started getting better interviews because you know, we just looked like squares up to that point. <laughs> but so it's a sort of classic example of, oh, my God. So some people, you know, you know, would say that it's just the, the homework on the page that's important. But also, the, you know, you're talking about your your clothes and what you wear. Is the environment important for when you're conducting an interview? I think it it feels like it might be at the beginning. But I think that once people start talking and engage in human contact, hopefully the environment gets less important in some ways. That they're just in the conversation, they're in the thought. I mean, I... I, I think I prefer interviewing people out of the radio studio actually um, people can get a bit put off by you know the technical look of the studio and and silence in the studio um, yeah the flashing lights but you know the, the the microphone but I think you know if I've interviewed people in their homes or their offices they forget the technical stuff if you're doing your job well I think I hope I mean, is the environment important? I guess it is, but but hopefully they they relax into it and forget and just talk to you as a human being after a while. Hopefully, absolutely. Mm. Uh, have you any any mentors or influence uh, people who've influenced you throughout your career, or somebody that you've, you've you've always gone back to to gain advice or anything along those lines? Um, hmm, that's a good question. Hold on, my headphones just falling off. Hold on. Um, well, I was. Okay, mentors. Um, and I know the word mentor seems to be a real kind of buzzword at the moment. Yeah, it seems yeah, to be yeah. kind of like you, but somebody that you know, it, it, it can be anybody I mean, from I a think, friend or. I think that um, you know, throughout my career, I've been really lucky to have witnessed some of the great interviewers. I, I um, was really lucky to work with Graham Norton before he was very famous on television. He did an awful lot of radio, and I, I produce a lot of that radio, and. It was like um, you were in the presence of greatness. You knew that this person was going to be majorly famous because they had this... He has this air about him, and he's still got it, that everybody wanted to talk to him. So whenever we went out to, to record an interview, people just immediately opened up to him. He was... Uh, immediately relaxing, immediately easy in everybody's company. He was funny, charming, very intelligent, very quick-witted. He always did his homework, worked very hard. And I always think about him, and obviously I watch his show, and I I just still think that if anyone's going to get something out of somebody, it will be him. And I've never seen anybody be able to be so cheeky with interviewees. (laughs) Mm. And get away with it. You know. He's very he's very disarming, isn't he? He's very disarming. But I tell you, if you if you said, okay, Graham, would you make a very serious documentary on Yates or something? He would do it. He could do it. He's got he's got real range, you know. And, and do you think that's something that just is it comes to you naturally, or is it something that that you can work on that you can that you can make yourself better at? There are lots of techniques that you can work on, but what I don't think you can teach is. Um, curiosity you know people it's not an accident that people are are 
people, people, what, what, you know, people that work in radio and the media are people, people. They love talking to people. They're curious. And, you know, if, if you're the kind of person that, you know, doesn't want to go to a party and talk to anyone, you're probably not going to make a good interviewer. You know, I'm somebody that I just loved being in groups, loads of people and just asking people a billion questions and listening and finding out about people's lives, you know. I love reading autobiographies or biography. I love, I just want to know what makes people tick. And I think you kind of tend to find that the media attracts those people. However, I think you can learn technique um, along the way. And where's your go-to place if you were to, you know, first thing, if you've, your, your morning routine and somebody who has got huge curiosity, what are the, the first sites that you would go to in the morning to kind of say, oh, I might find a bit of news or a bit of information there or, you know, that, that gets your brain going first thing in the morning? Huffington Post is my current <laughs> website of choice. Um, I, I love the opinion pieces. I, lo- I like, um, I like uh, all the, you know, uh, big name interviews and and the opinion pieces. Um, I'm all. I also, you know, avid today today program listener. I think John Humphreys has got that fantastic uh, Rottweiler technique, but tinged with humour. Um, you know, sometimes I'm shouting at the Today program as well because. They don't know when to put music in properly. And <laughs> as a feature maker, sorry, today programme, but you don't. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just think there's an awful lot of talent um, on breakfast radio, actually. Really? Yeah, I do. Um, going back to one of the most famous programmes that you would have worked on, mm. uh, which was De- Desert Island Discs, mm. and, and people say that, mm. that that's one of the, the, the ultimate programmes for showcasing an interview yeah. and, and how to conduct an interview and, and, and everything about how to bring the guest out, uh, the best out of a guest. Mm. What, have your, what are your memories of working on that programme? Oh, well, first of all, it was, it, it was my favourite programme at the time um, and I was just in heaven being offered this job. It was a, I was covering from maternity leave. Um, I was, I don't know, 26 at the time, 27, so I was quite young. Um, So I was working with Sue Lawley at the time, and she, I was terrified of her, was my first impression. (laughs) She's fearsome. She she worked in the old hard, you know, hard knock school of the boys' newsroom, and she could kick ass with the boys. Um, She wasn't going to hold any prisoners, and I... The first thing I noticed was how amazingly researched she was. I mean, the programme had me and it had a full-time researcher and she would get about 40 pages of research and all the books and all the films whoever for whoever we were interviewing, etc. Um, and just the calibre of the research was extraordinary and every week we would have um, a sort of two-hour briefing session together and she would we would both have read all the research and then she would spell out how she thought the interview would go and she had she was highly structured so she said everybody has to have eight interesting things to say about themselves or eight interesting times in their lives this is what I think we're going for what do you think and then I'd have to sort of argue or say no I think the emphasis should be on this and that and the other and we'd agree um I I think that I saw um her have terrific success with certain interviewees and then I remember one interview which went terribly badly so I think that was a lesson in chemistry actually and I think sometimes chemistry can can make you have a bad interview with someone um and 
in that case, you know, Sue Lawley was Sue Lawley, and you have, to, if you are Sue Lawley, you have to be Sue, Sue Lawley. I think if, as a producer, you've got the luxury of being a sort of chameleon, and you can be, you can get away with being a lot of different people in an interview. If that makes any sense to you. Um, yeah, I, f- I find it fascinating the way you brought up there that, that a person, that, that Sue Lolly, you know, said that the person would have eight interesting things about their life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and interesting as well that the visualisation, you know, you, you hear of sports people who visualise how the game is going to go and, yeah. and where they're going to go. on. on. It, it's, it almost seems a sense that Sue Lolly was all, all kind of doing sports psychology in one way, Maybe. that she was kind of map, mapping this out. Yeah, and I think there's a danger in that as well, isn't there? Because you... Because I always say when I go and interview people, I've got my list of questions and I've, I do my research. I really read about them and then I've got my list of questions. Then I want to just forget all that and see where it takes me. And something might pop into my head that came from my research or my questions. But actually, the best interviews, I think, are when you just let it flow and suddenly you're getting that rapport and you're really listening. Because actually, one of the most difficult things is to listen when you're interviewing somebody because you're worrying about the next question and am I going to... Especially when you're on live radio. Um, so you certainly don't want to be scrambling on a sheet of paper looking for a question really eight of, the, of, the, of the 11 that you've asked. <laughs> <laughs> There's always the... And how do you feel about that question to buy a bit of time? <laughs> how yes. Do you feel? And, yeah. And, and, and do, you, do you have a certain, because, I, I, you know, from the people that I've interviewed so far, mm. they have the odd stock question that they know is their cul-de-sac question that could possibly get them out of a, out of a sticky situation. Have you, have you any kind of those kind of gems that you could share with Ooh. people who are listening into the show that you kind of go, well, do you know what? This always gets me out of a rut, this question. It, <laughs> it, it always gets me out of trouble. Uh, no, I can remember some terrible silences. Okay, well, my, my, my big tip is don't settle for their first answer. Try to find the next layer of the answer. So a, a why or a how after they've answered, why did you do that or how did you do that? You know, go into the next level and that's where you get the rich material. Um, the other technique I use a lot is Imagine yourself back at that moment. Tell me the anecdote. How did you feel? Tell me in detail. What were, just describe for me what you were doing, because then you get a, a picture for radio, particularly which we need. Yeah, I, yeah, people often say that the people who do interviews for a living would make very good psychologists because mm. they are, you know, in one way sitting on the couch, mm. um, trying to unravel a person's mm. life to a certain, mm. or, or trying to get an interesting story for for the listener. And sometimes the the interviewee doesn't want to um, give their full life out. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, have you been in that situation before? Because I think mm. there's there's the celebrity interviews now, which are very junket based. You've got ten minutes. Uh, you know, you're not allowed ask this you're not allowed to ask that mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know when, when I said at the start of the interview do you think that the art of interview is dying you know is it a case that the PR world is 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 kind of ruining it in one way and killing it I think you're right there's a gloss over some of the celebrity interviews now that you will get the stock um, replies um I was really lucky. I, I spent three days with Robbie Williams at his house in LA. Um, it's probably a sort of career moment, really. You don't get that, that opportunity very often. And he'd been, it was just after he'd been sort of away from the spotlight for a couple of years. And I was really astonished um, by how nervous he was of being interviewed. I mean, he was in Take That, he was being interviewed every day around the world. And I just, because we knew we had a bit of time with him, 
it was really important there to let it unravel. And what was so fantastic was there was no gloss, there was no PR person around to tell us what we could and couldn't do. They tried to before and after, but, but um, while we were with Robbie, we had full access to him. And he was disarmingly honest. It's not to say he wasn't very, very professional and obviously had a huge amount of experience working with the media. But it was just wonderful in this kind of sound bite, let's speak, to, you know, let's do our PR round age that he was a real person and um what a great person he was what an amazing absolutely, absolutely great person we loved him absolutely and great. when you're and when you're in those situations mm. where you're interviewing somebody of his star quality and, and yeah. somebody who's that famous mm. when the interview is finished you know do you get an opportunity to listen back to what you've recorded mm. do you listen back to it for instance and go do you know what I, sh- I should have went there do you, do you give yourself a kind of critique of, of what you've done to maybe get the opportunity to have a follow-up interview or to to clarify a certain point that the, the person's made you hope that you've got it while you're there. I mean, I think yeah. as you get more experience, you 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 know you have a little technique to either write down what what you've forgotten and um, you know. In that case, I did. I used to. I went back to my hotel room, transcribed every interview, uh, made lists of what else I wanted to know. Um, so in that case, we had that luxury of a second, third, fourth interview. But you know, you hope that you get it on the uh, at the moment, and you you sort of get into the habit of hearing it when you do get it. I think. Yeah, and is it important that when you're doing the interview that you have that your producer mm. is also that extra set of ears that is kind of you know I suppose in a situation like mm. that it's more difficult because they can't talk into your headphones or they can't type up prompts in front of you on a screen. Yeah. Is it frustrating, be it if you're the interviewer or if you're the producer, to be in a situation like that where you can't really go um, slip you a piece of paper, you know? Um, mm. I guess it is. I suppose at the end of the interview, you can then say to each other, you know, have a small conversation, say anything else we need to ask. I, for instance, I've been making a documentary about Syria, about the writers and poets coming out of the Syrian um, civil war uh, in the last couple of months. And I was working with a presenter and he was a news presenter. So his style of question is totally different from my sort of more, as you said, psychology based <laughs> approach. Mm. I mean, it depends who you're interviewing, but... Um, but he did this sort of, we were talking to a sort of um, a Syrian intellectual who'd worked as a doctor. And I just felt we weren't getting any human story. There wasn't any, I could feel his pain, but he wasn't describing it or talking about it. And after the end of the interview, I just turned to him after the presenter had finished. And I just said, why did you stop being a doctor? Because he'd stopped being a doctor, become a writer. And then suddenly... The stories came out. He'd been working in a in a psychiatric um, hospital with soldiers, Syrian soldiers, and he'd just seen so much hideous madness and and just awful things. Um, and so then we started getting, you know, the real stories. But it sort of took that just listening to a lot of stuff, forty minutes of stuff that wasn't usable actually in the end, to get to the human story. And is there any situations that you've been in, Laura, that, you know, similar to that situation where you've, 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 you know, you've, you've tried all the techniques, you've tried your usual mm. structure to that interview, but there comes a point where there's a very difficult question to be asked. Mm. And, and, you know, has there been situations where you haven't asked that question, where you've gone, I can't go there, I, I can't possibly ask that because it's a, it's a privacy thing or, you know, but you know that it is integral to the story. Yeah. Definitely, and I can't remember a good example of it. But, you know, it's, for instance, if you're interviewing somebody whose child has died, you know, and you, you, 
you can have a sort of long-ranging interview about their feelings but actually you thought you wanted the story of how the child died but having heard the the oh I don't know you just don't in the end you think oh god I can't ask the detail this is too much and actually sometimes you can just feel the detail and sometimes I oh I just, I, I have stepped back from asking the very difficult questions um I can't think of a really specific example, I'm afraid. But it goes back to, again, mm. being a human being and having a conversation that if, if you were just two people having a conversation yeah. in a cafe, you, you wouldn't want to see the person hurt unless you were a kind of a hack journalist yeah. that, that was just looking for the marquee headline. Exactly. I did interview a guy who'd... Um, he was a newspaper photographer. He was about 92 when I met him. And he had photographed he'd he'd gone up in a plane and photographed the um great yarmouth flood in 1952 i think it's 52 and um he had watched people being swept off their roofs of their houses to their death he'd watched a that's right he watched a mother with her baby being swept off the roof of the house and died drowned um and he had never told anybody this and he was telling me and he burst into tears and it was that awful moment as the interviewer whether you do you pull the microphone backwards or do you push it forwards and actually on that in on that instance I put my microphone closer to his mouth because he he it was almost like his confession before the end of his life it was almost like he needed to get it on record um and I was honored that he felt um you know, trusting enough to tell me. And to share it with and you. And to share it with me. But I think there is a judgment to make. You know, if somebody's weeping about their dead child, do you do you take the microphone away? Well, you have to make that judgment at the moment. Which leads me to my next question. Mm. You know, you come from the broadcast field. You'd be, you'd be best known for your for, for broadcasting and for and for radio. Yeah. Um, even though you're involved in a, in a variety of media. Mm. Do you, uh, at that moment, you know, with that interview with that gentleman was very much um, was very much a radio. I, I feel a radio conversation, as in you. It was it was to do with sound. It was to do. Mm. I'd say that would be a very difficult interview to convey in a newspaper. Do you think that that interviews are best suited to the medium of radio? Um, or, you know, what is the best, in your view, what's the best medium for an an, a interview? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, radio is a content medium and it, obviously it's a storytelling medium. So it's great for interviews and it's pure. So I bet that most people can remember driving in the car and hearing a powerful interview and they'll remember the interview but they'll remember where they were on the road or and and somehow sound meshes with um you know everyday life like you in the kitchen or in the car um you know it's not to say I haven't seen brilliant interviews on television you know someone like Melvin Bragg interviewing Dennis Potter just before he died I mean that's just a standout interview or um, or interviews in books. Um, let me think of a brilliant interview in a book. Um, well, for instance, the um, Bono from U2, that, that there was a book about his life and it was just a series of conversations between him and a music journalist. And I thought it was great. There was just It was just a, two old friends chatting. I just enjoyed that. You know, so that... 
and perhaps that would have just gone on too long if it was a radio interview but <laughs> yeah but it, but it worked it worked, it worked. On, on paper I can't remember we'll, the, inter- the interviewer's name sorry about that the, no it's okay well, we, we, we'll yeah. put uh, links to it on the show notes of the podcast so mm. we'll, uh, well, mm. I'll do a bit of googling after yeah, the interview no, and we'll, like we'll put it on the show old, notes like a music journalist that's followed you too since they were you know a young band <laughs> Okay, well, well, we'll look into yeah. that. Final couple of questions, and thank you, Laura, for your for your time sure. today. Uh, have you ever gifted any books to anyone that's helped them in the field of journalism or interviewing? No. <laughs> well, answers Let that me question. Think about this. <laughs> yeah. oh, much, no, it could much be a- better to send them, you know, audio. Yeah. Um, there's a great John Ron. I've, I've made a lot of radio programs with John Ronson, and the series is called John Ronson on. It's illegally up on John's website. Sorry, BBC copyright. Um, <laughs> it's great, but the the Internet Date from Hell is a brilliant one because that's a fantastically deep interview. But the interview that I cite as a as I sort of go and listen to it. Well, go and listen to Internet Date from Hell. But anyway, the other one I was thinking of was um, a guy that had cancer. He had terminal cancer and he was told he had six months to live. So he he spent all his savings eating in the best restaurants in the country and he bought, he gave away all his clothes, he gave away all his material possessions. He was penniless <laughs> in the end after six months. This is a, brief, this is a potted version of this. Um, Then he went back to the doctors and they said, sorry, there's been a terrible mistake. You actually don't have cancer. (laughs) So, So John has interviewed him about this story. And instead of going, God, you must have been over the moon, which is what all interviewers would have said. John says, God, you must have been furious. (laughs) <laughs> and the guy goes yes I was livid <laughs> it wasn't good enough that you got your life back yes <laughs> and I just thought it was a brilliant moment only John Ronson could have sort of turned it 180 degrees and and got away with it and it said it all it was just brilliant anyway John, John's got a sort of unique um, take on the interview worth listening to his stuff I think that's because that, that, that answers my, one of my final questions which was because I know that you mentioned Graham Norton mm. as somebody who mm. you believe does great interviews mm-hmm. and actually funny enough one of our former guests on the show Dave Fanning also said the same thing yeah. about Graham Norton I don't know was that an Irish thing that he was you know shouting for her own mm. um, but it's interesting that, that you you name John Ronson then as somebody currently that does things a little bit differently yeah. is there anyone else bef- before we before we end that you think you know we should definitely listen to or yeah. to learn from and to, to look at well, I think Victoria Derbyshire is the queen of interviews. I mean, she does a lot of political interviews, but her kind of people interviews as well, you know, victims of child abuse or, you know, the difficult personal interview, she is brilliant and she consistently wins awards for them. Um, I know she's on television, she's on BBC One every day at the moment, but um, she's a fantastic interviewer. Robert Elms, who I don't know if you ever get to hear him. He's on um, BBC London. He's he is always a fantastic interviewer. Um, who else? Um, oh, I don't know. Anyway, those are. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, that's a that's a, a potpourri of people. Anyway, yeah, to listen to and Jenny Murray. I got to give it to Jenny Murray. She's fantastic. And she, what I love about her is her range. She can judge how to interview somebody brilliantly. So. She's tough when she needs to be. She's soft when she needs to be. She's very knowledgeable. And I think as as she gets older, I mean, when I was a young radio producer, that's I loved her. I thought she was just a brilliant interviewer. I don't I don't agree with all her sort of politics, but we come from different eras. But you know, she gets softer. I mean, not softer, more more comfortable as she gets older. And I I don't think you should dismiss these people that have been been there, done it. Um, 
Laurie and Laurie Taylor, who as again does his research but is able to be a clever clogs and funny. I think humour's a great thing, you know? Yeah. Never forget humour. Yeah. Well, Laura Parfa, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, come on the outer view today and um, continue success with uh, White Pebble Media. Thank you very much, and um, well in, well done for your interviewing skills. <laughs> thank you for <laughs> making thank you me very... feel relaxed. <laughs> thank you for listening to this week's edition of the Outer View for RTE Radio One Extra. You can find out more about the Outer View at alanswan.com. 